0: Content warning. This show is intended for a mature audience. This episode specifically features discussion of domination and pain. Listener discretion is advised. Hi there, and welcome to Working Out the Kinks, the show where we take a feminist, LGBTQIA plus inclusive, kink positive look at sex and sexuality. I am your host, Jessie Hitch. Today, we will be talking to a former professional dominatrix, Ms. Priya. But first, a story from one of our listeners. When my boyfriend and I first started dating, we were in full-blown honeymoon phase, no one else mattered we were having sex all the time all those stereotypical gross coupley things you do when you're newly in love and have no self-awareness so naturally we explored some interesting locations for our sexual activities one notable occasion we were at a house party not a full-blown rager but still fun enough to get drunk and silly and decide it would be really good idea to sneak outside to have sex in this person's backyard We're not voyeurs at all, so we found a nice, shadowy spot, and sex things happened. When we were done, we went to go back inside, and we were locked out. Everyone had passed out. We can't get back in. Thankfully, we had also hooked up in my car earlier, and it was unlocked, so we slept in there. Icing on the cake, having sex on the ground means that you will probably get some debris in your vajayjay. Legit found a stick in there. Thank goodness it's a self-cleaning organ. And now on to the show. As as I
1: well, I know you say you're sorry, and that you do right. But baby, do you take me off for? Yes,
0: I see you crying. I'll be photos, tears and dry, baby. I'm headed for a zone. Alright, yeah, suck that all. Right. Yeah. all, right. yeah. all right. I'm kidding. Not really uh so hi it's nice to meet you uh welcome, welcome to you. the show so i guess can you like introduce yourself for the people who don't know who you are because we've been talking a little bit online oh, okay um Uh.
1: yeah so my name is priya i go by miss priya um mistress priya sometimes rarely usually miss priya and then my queen things like that pretty fine but you know <laughs> I'm born and raised in Hawaii. Um, left there when I was about 27, and I live in Eugene now. Um, I was a professional and performing um, on-stage dominatrix for 20 years.
0: That's amazing. Okay, so I have so many questions about all of this, but I just want to like hit on the fact that people call you my queen, and that. Is <laughs> literally my dream.
1: So yeah, it's pretty. Awesome. Yeah, it's good. bad about it. Yeah.
0: <laughs> okay, so you were a professional and performing dominatrix for 20 years. So what's what is the difference there between like a professional and a performing dominatrix?
1: Well, the way that I started out uh, was probably different than most doms would start out. I, you know, it, it kind of it, it goes back generations and generations kind of thing. And I've met people that were in the scene for, you know, 50 years. I've met people that were just getting into it. And um, I got into it when I was 15. Um, I got a little flyer with my friends in high school, and we thought it looked like a cool flyer. And we showed up, and we could not believe that they let us through the door without checking IDs.
0: Oh, yeah. <laughs> and
1: they got away with it by not serving alcohol. Oh. And it was like it, I just I walked into a, a side, like a warehouse building, that had a hole in the side of the wall. And then inside, just a huge nightclub with um different um, platforms, you know, 12, 20 feet tall platforms with cages and people in, you know, latex and fishnets and, you know, just incredible industrial music I had never heard before. And it just, it was like realizing I had come home.
0: Well, that's, I mean, that's so cool that it was just like, oh, look, here I am. This yeah. is where I've always wanted to be.
1: Yeah. So, I'd never seen anything like it. There was there was nothing like it in Hawaii. I mean, this is, you know, pre internet. So you just kind of fell upon things. Um, radio stations played top forty stops, you know, you got some pearl jam, stuff like that. But yeah. as far as like punk rock or, you know, really heavy metal or, you know, any like anything underground or kind of you know, alternative, really alternative didn't exist. Hmm. So it was kind of like, well, I'd heard some like, you know, house music and stuff like that. I thought it was okay. I was a metalhead mostly. And then, yeah, I just fell in love with industrial and just walked in with like, these are the weirdos that I've been looking for.
0: Here they are. Here yes, are my people. They're <laughs> all
1: in one place.
0: <laughs> <I'm>, that's, <laughs> that's awesome. So So you like go into this club. And were you approached by somebody, or did it just kind of happen organically? Like, how did you end
1: up? I mean, being fifteen and just standing there, just I mean, mouth wide open. I mean, I was already wearing like a cute dress and stuff. I was wearing like a '60s retro blue dress and like tall black boots and stuff and fishnets, but. I ran outside and, like, grabbed my compact and rubbed a whole bunch of black on my lips and a little more on my eyes and, like, went back in and then was like, okay, maybe I'd blend a little more. Right. <laughs> and I basically stalked them after that. Nice. Um, <laughs> yeah, Yeah. Like, there was whips and chains and sweaty people and songs and just, you know, I went up to the bar figured there'd be sodas there or something and the guy said hey you get a beer yet and just passed you know like threw me a six-pack like can of beer oh wow yeah <laughs> and so but because of its kind of underground state and um how they obviously operated it kind of moved around so yeah. we had to like i guess how the old school underground wave scene was where you'd like call a number and track people down. You'd have to go on a little hunt and kind of things like that. And sometimes we didn't have a place. It was, you know, people hanging out and drinking in a cemetery or then a new place would open up. And I went to the very first dungeon. It was called the Dungeon in Hawaii, the big S&M event. Mm -hmm. Um, And I worked the second one. Oh, wow. So we were like three months apart. Oh, wow. And the second one, me and my girlfriends dressed up. We showed up early um, I made sure that a couple of guys I've been talking to were like, no, she's cool. She's cool. And uh, this beautiful, like six foot tall redhead, you know, goes, how old are you? And the three of us in Newson, 18. goes, that was the right answer. <laughs> yeah. And like hands us whips and says, in a T formation, upside down T, don't hit here. Don't hit here. Don't here hit here. Have fun. Oh wow! Up, you know, just like how fun, uh, you know, thumbs up for harder. Check the hand signals, like hands up, like stop. Hands up for stop. That's mm-hmm. about it. And that's basically the only rules we had for a few years. Wow. Yeah, but so it was all child
0: participation. Charles is very in, invested in this conversation right now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, that's that's really cool. It's amazing that that's just like. Here we are. Just here's a whip. Do your thing. Yeah. And boom. Now you're, and then you did it professionally for 20 years.
1: Yeah. That's yeah, so cool. So, it, you know, it took a little bit of time with the professional side of things. I mean, there was, you know, we had, you know, we had like, you know, then we had the health people kind of come in and go, uh, you can't hit people until they bleed. And we were like, oh, they're like, yeah, AIDS. We're like, okay, fine. You know, right. So, yeah, you know, was a bit of a learning curve, but no complaints. Never had the complaints, so well, that's good. I, yeah. So, so what Something's was like good about that? <laughs>
0: right. So, what was like a a typical like day in the office for you? Would you just like roll up to a place and then from there, like what would you do?
1: Well, for so, for so the performing side of it, um, it, it was you know about every month, every three months around that period of time. And, yeah, I mean, I went from, you know, being the girl kind of shaking, excited, like holding her whip, going, oh, I don't really know what to do, to, like, going out and scouting for girls and guys and training them. And, like, this is where to hit, this is where not to hit, that sort of thing. And um, so it was, you know, when it's a nightclub event, it's kind of, you know, it's more spaced out. Yeah. So it's, you know... You, I was still in high school. So
0: I was like those
1: flyers in the bathroom of my high school. Right. I <laughs> then it got a little dicey when I was on one of the flyers, but Oh <laughs> uh,
0: yeah. Yeah. That that could be that could be a little dicey, yeah. Right.
1: Yeah. I mean, you know, they it was a different time though. I mean I the guy that I saw there when I first walked in, I was like, Mom, I want that for Christmas, was a <laughs> six-foot-four tall Marine. He was 23, skinny rail, shaved head, lots of black eyeliner, lots of tattoos, uh, septum bull ring with of barbed wire, and uh, military, you know, obviously, Hawaii. And so when I took him to my junior prom when I was 16, that was, you know, it was uh, shocking, but it was still something that was normal and okay. Like nowadays, if you try to do something like that, we would probably make news, you know? Yeah.
0: So how how else do you feel like the, the industry has changed
1: over the years then? Massively. Yeah? Massively. I mean, I think my generation, you know, about Generation X, I'm kind of the younger side of it, but mm-hmm. I think our generation was probably the last one to really kind of experience the you know kind of adult situations and adult places before officially becoming adult
0: mm-hmm.
1: like, and that was kind of the case for any every generation before us you kind of took toad in the waters a bit before you went into the deep end and now I mean kids are uh, cracked down on IDs I think changed a lot mm-hmm. changed everything and it used to be normal to like you know, stand outside a grocery store and, you know, rub elbows and get people to buy you alcohol. Nowadays, you know, like, that would make news. Yeah. <laughs> it's not done. You, you know, you had your local store that always, you knew what stores sold cigarettes to people without carding. You knew what stores you could get alcohol. If you couldn't get alcohol, someone would always buy it. So, you know, parties were mixed, you know, I mean... It, Around the age twenty five, a little older than that, like around there, it was kind of like, oh, that person's kind of old, you know. Like, but anything under that, you know, you're mixing pretty much a ten year age range.
0: So how was that for you? Like being so young when you got into it? Like, were you working with men that were well, yeah. with I guess people, like. Like,
1: twice men, your age and women, yeah. Um yeah. And it was, I couldn't recommend it more. It was the most amazing, the most empowering thing ever. I, I definitely grew up as a child that felt very voiceless. Yeah. So having that kind of like all of it, you know, kind of like if you grew up kind of bullied and kind of being passed around and not really having a say in anything or your feelings being heard or things like that then all of a sudden it's like you're put on this pedestal and what you do matters and what you say matters and you have to be respected and people do respect you. I I mean, I don't know anything else like it, really. And it's unfortunate that I don't really know of anything else like it that is available for teenage girls, you know, especially teenage girls. Right. But, you know, and especially with the... You know, kind of socially, sexually, the what's normal is changing, and consent, the way we consent is changing. And, you know, to get up the guts to, like, go, okay, I feel comfortable in my body and my sexuality, and I feel really, you know, celebrated, and nothing like it. For me, it wasn't sexual. It, it, it never was to me. And I don't know if it's because I started youngs, and all of it was just exciting to me or, you know, but like, it's just not, you know, BDSM is not something that sexually turns me on. It turns me on in a kind of powerful bloodlust kind of way, but not in arousal sexually.
0: That's interesting, the, the difference there, because I, I get what you're saying. Like, it's not something like, oh, I got to go fuck now, but like. More of like, yes, yeah. like I'm in control. I'm, I have the power here.
1: Yeah, and I mean, sex. That was does, does another wonderful thing is that the women in our group, you know, because it wasn't, you know, just the dominatrixes, and you know, it was, you know, we had a broad group of friends, and that were all into the music and you know the clothes and you know everything like that. A little punk rock kind of attitudes. The goths were not exactly like. We were a little more on the fantasy side. We were definitely more industrial kind of punk rock kind of you know the heavy drinking breaking bottles types of people mm-hmm. <laughs> and even like you had a you had a feeling of being able to be yourself at the top of that, so you could sleep with whoever you wanted to sleep with you could you know you could own your sexuality in any way you wanted. And it was completely acceptable to everyone around you.
0: So it sounds like it was something where you were definitely safe in making all of those decisions yourself. And those decisions were always respected.
1: A hundred percent. And that's the crazy thing, too, because I was drinking the whole time. We all were. Mm -hmm. So nowadays when it's like, well, this person can't consent because they've been drinking or that's, you know, this kind of thing. And it's like. There's that kind of old-fashioned part of me that goes, wow, that's really different than my experience. But then I have to put myself in kind of the younger generation's point of view where they didn't get the same kind of adult interaction that maybe we did, you know?
0: Yeah, the different experiences in growing up probably are, do help yeah, shape Yeah, my, my son that. just turned
1: 21. Mm-hmm. so. It's definitely different. He is still at home. He's only been drunk a couple times in his life. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, he's, he's a good boy. He's a cute punk rock little kid and stuff. Well, young man. But <laughs> it's definitely different. And I did take time off to raise him right. And I think it actually made me a better mother. Made me real patient. maybe understand that, you know, the good things about discipline and the good things about reward and like just being able to be kind of young too and get to share cool music with them was great.
0: Oh yeah. <laughs> so what, what you do then or what you did uh, would be technically considered part of the BDSM. Yes. So community. then
1: we get to the more professional side of it yeah. when I got pregnant with my son. Okay. Cause it, his father was military, we were in a relationship, he was a shitty person and that ended. And then I was a single mom and I was nineteen. Oh, so yeah. yeah, so then it gets rough because I gotta support myself. Um, I was also a makeup artist but I started doing makeup in strip clubs so that my mom would be home at night and she could watch him and I could you know, work at night, but mm-hmm. then when she moved, I had to take care of him all of the time, so I had to work during the day and be home at night, you know, that sort of thing, and so it really helped to do things professionally then. I had enough training to do things professionally, finally, and, um, yeah, it, taking on slaves or clients <laughs> it's similar, but different, yeah. you know. Slaves were great because usually they were, you know, they were people that didn't necessarily have a lot of money to spend, and we none of us were cheap. I mean, you know,
0: yeah, you got to charge what you're worth. Absolutely, yeah. (laughs)
1: And sex wasn't part of it. You know, if you want a hooker, go pay a hooker. You know, so sex was, yeah, sex was not part of it. It was a lot about skill and. Things that worked really well for me were no strings housework, getting my house cleaned for free, and mm-hmm. then the, them paying me to clean my house. You know, dropping off money randomly, things like that. And then I would do you know sessions from time to time. You know, usually back then I was probably about I don't know it was between like fifty and a hundred dollars per hour. But then you know it was like two hundred an hour, and it was like three hundred an hour, and then. It was like he moved to Oregon, and you can't really charge three hundred anymore. Oh yeah, yeah, not in Eugene. People don't have money like they do in Honolulu, for instance.
0: Oh yeah, I mean yeah, that makes sense. So what what is like what would a, a typical session entail? If you if if you're at liberty to discuss that,
1: yeah. Gosh, the the range is so broad. There's so many kinds of kinks and fetishes and, like, what people are into. And some of it was difficult for me because I was really into the pain aspect of it. I really loved hurting people. And not like, you know, when they weren't looking or something. You know, obviously it was agreed upon. And, you yeah. know, they were always the ones really in charge. Yeah. So, you know, that's... It. <laughs> But they want everything from, you know, wearing a tutu, jumping rope and being made fun of or being peed on or, you know, just smelling your feet or, let's see, what else? Yeah, there's clothespins and whips and candle wax and, and, you know, sometimes I just didn't know what to do with them if they didn't want to get hurt. Yeah, which is really annoying because I still (laughs) needed the money, but I wasn't creative that way. Like, there's some really good dominatrix out there that are extremely creative in all of their, you know, setups. And but I was never good at role play. Like, just wasn't my thing. So if they're like, I don't like anything that leaves marks Mm -hmm. or, you know, I'm just like, well, shit, I'm really good at putting you in the corner. And just letting you sit there for an hour. <laughs> <You know? laughs> really good at that. <laughs> yeah. From so that, you know, it, it would just depend. And then, it, like you know, if I went away for a couple of days, I'd have them take care of my house and make sure everything was clean. I remember one time, like the guy was supposed to have the place clean. I came back and there was like cat hair and cat vomit on the floor. So I made him clean it up with his tongue. Oh wow. Um, yeah, because that was just not nice. And he didn't yeah. want to do that, but, you know, that's part of that. So,
0: that was just part of like, that's just what it is now. Like, that's your punishment.
1: Well, exactly. And then it's now you get to do my laundry here, you know. Okay. So, was yeah. that like, I, like more of the call them at Four o'clock in the morning and tell them to bring me cigarettes or, you know. Huh.
0: See, and, yeah, yeah, and that's very so helpful. cool. I've never like I've never heard anything about that side of the industry before, so this is all brand new territory for me. So I'm this is awesome. I so, highly
1: recommend it to single mothers. You just have to be very careful about like the vetting process and everything like that. But, so
0: what was your vetting process like what did that look like?
1: Most like little you know by that time, when I was doing it more professionally and stuff, there was a little bit more of an internet. There was a little bit more social media, so I could check out people a little bit more. It would be talking to them. It would be meeting with some face-to-face, usually going somewhere, sitting down, having dinner, like, you know, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. I would always tell someone if I was having a session or, you know, it just depended. You know, sometimes I'd have a session with a couple of girls, and they would know, go up to a place and do a session. And then, but most of it, For me, I, you know, I just tried to kind of manage it with being a mom at the same time. So it was like, okay, I can do a session at noon because my kid's going to be at school and I've got the day off, you Mm -hmm. know, like that sort of thing. And then see how it went, see if it would continue. My favorite thing was um, financial domination, but it's hard to find people that can put the money where their mouth is.
0: So what is financial domination?
1: Um, you basically take over every financial aspect of their life. Oh, wow. You pay, yeah, you give them like an allowance to love, live off of, a very small, you know. I mean, it, it varies on – everything's always in contracts and in agreements and stuff beforehand. But, yeah, basically just your their money is your money. Oh, Wow. So yeah, just and like, then they, yep, often like, they have, they're like a blackmail kind of thing with it. You oh, know, okay. if you don't give me this, I'm going to tell so-and-so this.
0: and Huh. So you mentioned that things were always in contracts. Was this something that, like, would you ever take that to a lawyer and be like, hey, I need a contract drawn up for this specific situation, or was it just something that you guys just kind of drew up together?
1: Um, I had a couple of, like, I had a couple of ones that I had gotten off the internet or out of, like, like, I had books. Oh, that was another thing. Um, my first job I ever had, um, like your 9 to 5 regular first teenage job, I worked at um, a bondage boutique called Submission. Okay. And we sold, um, like, books and clothes and whips and, you know, latex and stuff like that. And it was the first of its kind in, in and This is before Hot Topic. <laughs> so it was the story to get, like, cool clothes because, yeah, there wasn't anything else. Before that, we made our clothes, basically. So if some people were lucky, they got to, like, go to Europe or New York to shop, but most of us had to make things. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, so from there, like, some of the books and stuff was, like, F&M 101 was a classic. And um, what's the other one? Forget the Roses, Send Me the Thorns. That that one has a contract in it. There's a lot of books like that that are really good for beginners. And so, you know, contracts, the other part of that was really helpful. And so I signed up for a prepaid legal, which is now Legal Shield. Okay. And I've had it, I've had it basically for 20 years. So anytime I ever had like a legal question, I can just call them and I just pay 14 bucks a month. And if I ever got sued, they represent me for free. Oh, cool. <laughs> I didn't say that. I Actually, but I never ran into any real problems with it. Like, I mean, I've had friends that have been professional and, like, hardcore professionals for a lot longer where that's, like, all they've ever done.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, but, uh, so, I'm sure they've, they've had a lot more, you know, crazy clients than I've had and stuff. I mean, a lot of people where you get, like, really crazy messages of things they want you to do to them, it's just fantasy and it's basically like if someone's like i have a woman i'm gonna sell her and she's a pig and she fucks pigs so she, it's like 99.99999% of the time it's just someone just writing shit and wanting someone to read it and like and just yeah. kind of getting off on the fact that somebody exactly. out there is just reading Just it. getting off on the whole story kind of thing and you know so i would get like from time-to-time messages, like, do you have hard limits? And it's like, well, I don't. Well, <laughs> you <know>? I don't. <laughs> you no. Know? but they're like, so you would drive a nail through my, you know, I'm like, sure, if you have the money. Yeah, you know? you're going to pay like, for it, but. <laughs> yeah, and they're like, well, you know, would you, like, put me up in a shed and starve me? I'm like, yeah, if you have the money. No one ever had the money for anything like that. Oh, yeah,
0: so, so it was all just kind of, you know. People knew like you could do basically whatever you wanted to them, and that was kind of enough to get them by. Unless they wanted to pay for something, where they were like being starved in a shed somewhere. What would you yeah, charge I mean, for something like got that? Like <laughs> of
1: kinks, but a lot of it even just you know, someone might not actually want the nail driven through their nuts. They might just want to talk about it.
0: You know? Yeah, yeah, that makes sense.
1: Yeah, so I basically, I mean, I was on a website for a bit. I'm probably still up there. I haven't even checked in years. (laughs) But, you know, here's my information. You know, you can email me, and basically, you can email me, and then, if you want to talk to me, you go to the website, go to my wish list, buy me something. When I get it, we'll talk. Okay. Because that means... Someone's, you know, I had items at anywhere from like $10 to like 2000 you know, so oh, wow. someone could buy me, you know, any kind of money range. I didn't care if it was $10. At least it was something. It meant they were serious because I'm not going to sit there and read through your pervert emails all day for no reason. Oh, you yeah. Know?
0: No, like you got to get something out of it first. and it And it does kind of help weed out the people who aren't willing to pay. Exactly. It's like a deposit, but not.
1: And so, you know, and that's just me, though. There's so, I mean, there's plenty of dominatrix that are lifestyle, for example, where that's like, it's not their profession. It's how they live, you know, it's their partnerships in life. It's their, you know, it's who they want to be. It's the circle they surround themselves with. And that's great. You know, I I really think it's just each their own. And whatever works for someone, as long as it's not hurting anyone else, without paying or yeah. permission, then it's great.
0: That's and I think that's what's interesting about the whole thing is that it's and what we're learning more and more about on this podcast is when it comes to what would be considered like sex work or something like that, or mm-hmm. you know, working in in the. BDSM community or anything like that it's it's more about communication and there's it it, that's a required you have to communicate 100% and
1: absolutely and 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 the thing is too I I always like to try and have my slaves or my clients or whatever like keep journals if they could you know at least something like they had to do something to keep a journal Because You know, in some kind of way so that I could kind of gauge, you know, what they wanted and stuff. Because a lot of times they want you to know what they want. And I don't care. I (laughs) don't care. (laughs) I do not care. I mean, it's kind of like when, you know, we had our first, like, New York dominatrix come in to teach us lowly doms about, you know. And by this time I had been teaching... You know, i have been training my staff for a while, so I was slightly insulted, but fine. We'll hear what she has to say. Welcome. And she would say things like, you know, you could rub here, and this really excites them. You know, you could do this, and this really turns them on. And finally, I just stood up in front of everyone. I turned around. I said, can I see a raised hand for anyone that wants to turn them on? Yeah. And everyone was just, goes, nope. Nope. <laughs> Stop there. And I was like, thank you. Anyone just like to hit them, hands raised. I'm like, now you know who you are, proceed. <laughs> right. So It's different, you know, when it's your partner and it's different with its clients. It's right. You know, there's that sort of thing. For me, it's never been part of my you know, it's not something that turns me on, so it's just not really something that I do. Like in your uh, personal sex life, but well, exactly. It's yeah. you know, it's kind of like a persona. It's someone that you pretend to be part of the time. And although it is my personality, I mean that's why I felt at home when I walked in there. It you know, I knew where I was all of a sudden. I knew who I was and it doesn't go away. But for some people, it's just different. For some people, like I had, you know, friends that, only, that never, you know, worked whipping people. They only worked in the rope cage, which is, you know, tying people up and doing the more sensual touching and, you know, that sort of thing. And I just would go into the rope cage when I got too drunk and needed to lie down for a bit, you know.
0: <laughs> so you were just like somewhere you were safe? You weren't... Yeah. See, I think that's great because it's kind of everybody's own personalities can kind of shape where in the industry they want to work and where
1: they feel the most at home. Well, that's exactly it. And it's so great that way because you really can just do anything that you want. The harder part is finding other people that, you know, match up to that. Right. So you have dogs that usually end up doing more shit than they want to do, but that's, you know broader, broader things, more income. <laughs> yeah.
0: Yeah. And, you know, as, as you get more and more clients, then you can kind of start weeding through them and start, you know, attracting your yeah. target audience, for lack of a better well, term. Exactly.
1: Oh, and nowadays, I mean, it's so great with, you know, social media and stuff. yeah. I mean, oh, yeah. It's so much better, so much easier.
0: So do you feel like things like the Fifty Shades of Grey books... I have talked to a ton of people in both in the industry and out of the industry. Some people say it's abusive. Some people say it's not abusive. Like what is your take on that? And how do you think it's shaping the industry?
1: Uh, it's, you know, it's the industry just laughs at it. Um, because <laughs> you know, it's, it's, it's kind of one-on-one for a lot of people and, you know, for some it's shocking, but the reason really, and you know, I'm, I'm good. I've always been good at what I do. But what I'm best at is relationships and like why people do the things they do. Like that's always what's interested me. And that's, you know, that's what I loved about doing makeup. It was like making people feel feel good. But like having those conversations while doing it and having long term clients where, you know, you see their lives kind of shape and move and, you know, kids grow up and all kinds of things. But With Fifty Shades of Grey, you have the innocent girl who's well-meaning and kinda is good, you know, and sticks to her guns, but maybe might not be so decisive, and maybe doesn't know how to be led, and maybe hasn't had felt that real spark. And then you have the billionaire, hot, sexy guy who's troubled and masculine and knows what he wants but can be changed. You know? Mm-hmm. He can be tamed. And it's it's just it's a classic romance novel formula that you see in every single romance novel. I mean, it's it's no different than Twilight. You ha I mean, you look at the books, you look at the movies, basically same same, not that much of a difference. A little more M in the books and in the movies but you have the you know will will they fall in love will their love work okay there's going to be some trouble and something might happen and it's scary and he saves her yeah Great. the next one yeah <laughs> the next one you know they're going to get married. Oh, she's pregnant. (laughs) They got engaged, (laughs) so now they're going to get married. And so they're going to have a big wedding, and then what are they going to do? They're going to build a house. Oh, yes. And, yes, so they're going to have all these, it's, it's just women creaming their panties (laughs) over the same romantic, like, romance novel, A, B, C, D, E. Yeah. (laughs) And it's, and it's, hilarious to me that the only thing that romance novels have needed this whole time to be back on the shelves hot and not just in the corner of the grocery store is the S&M part. Yeah. (laughs) Had it died like in the early 2000s. (laughs) Yeah. That was kind of the biggest surprise to me. And Well, is it abusive? Yeah, it is. But it's also consent. That's You know, I mean, you have a a writer who's a bit older, you know, and that's, you know, that kind of being pushed up against the wall and having your limits pressed, and then coming back and begging for more is—it's part of the game. It's part of the, you know, kind of what we all got used to, and and things are different now, and they're very different. But it's kind—it's very weird to take the brush of today of how things have changed so much and so quickly and then painted across everything that happens before it. Yeah. And, like, that's, there's a lot of that going on, which there's a good part of it, which is to have the conversation. is This really isn't okay. But that is how it was. Yeah. You
0: know? So was yeah. it...
1: Did was a French actress that got into trouble for saying some sort of, like, anti-feminist stuff about romance and, you know, but that's how it was. It was romantic to steal a kiss and, uh, you know, like, mm-hmm. seduce her past her will because it was women's thing to say no, no, no before they said yes, so they never appear to be slutty.
0: yeah. And that, and it's interesting because, you know, there's that song, Baby, It's Cold Outside, and everybody talks about how it's like it's super date rapey, which it, it when you think about it in today's terms, when yeah. she's saying what's in this drink, yeah, it definitely sounds like he roofied her and he's going to uh-huh. drag her off in the woods somewhere. But I, I did read a really interest, interesting article about that and about how back in the day in the 1930s or 40s when that song was released. It was a woman's job to say No and no and no and no and no and and it was yes. almost like a like a consensual non consent thing right. you know, and there was so much that went into it with like body language and mm-hmm. and articulating things in a creative way so that way they could get their point across without coming off as
1: you know, being a slut or being Oh exactly. Yeah. The way the legs were crossed when they said no meant something, the way right. the eyes were, the, you know, that so when you hear someone say she was asking for it, her eyes said I mean it sounds horrific. It really sounds horrific and it's scary when you hear that kind of thing come out of someone's mouth. But that was how it was. You right. know? And It's only been recently that women are like, no, I fucking meant no, not just no. So how do you feel like I of mean, no, but maybe you can change my mind, you know?
0: So how do you feel like do you feel like the the idea of consent is shifting a little bit then? Mm hmm. Yeah. Do you feel why do you why do you feel that like, for instance, in Hollywood, you know, when when you have people like Harvey Weinstein saying things like, oh, well, she 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 actually wanted it. And they were saying, no, I didn't want it. So, why do you, what is your theory on why some people have gotten that memo and some people have
1: not? Does that Um, make sense? I think Harvey Weinstein didn't get the memo because people enabled him to do that crap. Mm -hmm. And that, you know, and that's the problem is that not only was some of that acceptable for a period of time back then, which is not now, which is not ten years. You know, there's, you know, it's not like it all of a sudden changed. It's been changing, but it is, you know, it's very different now in comparison. But still, like he had so many people saying it's not a big deal, or you know, not, you know, just allowing it, letting their careers, you know, benefit from the secrecy from the allowing it to happen. I have very strong opinions on this as well, which some of them might be a little old fashioned, but I think it's absolutely a hundred percent up to everyone. If you physically can to actually say no and right. to speak up when something isn't right. And if there's a victim after and you're only not saying something for your career or, you know, cause you don't want to make obscene or, you know, we, that's, we can't do that anymore. Yeah. It's that responsibility and all of us to speak up and to not let money change what that is going to say. Mm -hmm.
0: So just kind of shifting gears here a little bit. So if somebody like, you know, some somebody today wanted to explore getting into being a dominatrix professionally or dip their toes in it, how would you like, what would you suggest they do?
1: How would they get started? See that's one that I'm curious about too. Oh yeah. I you know I I I really wonder <laughs> cuz I guess you could buy some books and you could you know borrow some people. I mean if you're cute, you can still do anything in the world. Yeah. At least that's you know that's still a place for now. But yeah i'd I'd love to know how <laughs> someone would really get into it now I mean other than just having an interest automatically i mean for me, I was very lucky to have that kind of support when I was a single mother, and if it wasn't for some of that support, I don't know where I would be you know yeah. it's it's kind of crazy.
0: Well, I'm googling right now how to become a professional tabulator. So
1: maybe Google <laughs> I mean, can tell, some me. <laughs> business um, right? tell like me. Business cards, right? Just like business cards,
0: like here at parties. <laughs> so, who do you think? Who are people who would be well inclined to do this, and who are people who should not do it?
1: I think I think it's important to know who you are. Mm-hmm. I think it's important to, you know, if even if that means going to find out who you are, you know, if it means going down the path to discover, you know, do that. But, you know, go for it. You know, know what's comfortable. And if it doesn't feel comfortable, then don't do it. Or if it feels a little uncomfortable, maybe it's worth it for the money. Yeah. You know, it it really depends and it's different for everyone. Mm -hmm. And I think that that kind of knowing yourself is really difficult. I think it's really difficult nowadays to just automatically know where you belong.
0: Yeah. So what I oh, I had a question and I forgot what I was going to say. <laughs> what was I going to say? I didn't write it down either. And I keep thinking mm-hmm. I need to write it down. Um Oh, okay. So did you ever experience when you were working in the industry, did you ever experience people looking down at you or, you know, basically being shitty at you because of what you did for a living? Oh, yeah.
1: Oh, of course. And I even had, I had peers say things to me like, what do you know? You only know a bunch of strippers or, you know, things like that. I'm like, what? You know, what? wait, you don't know me. Yeah. You know, like, I'm like, wait, you know me on like a Friday night at midnight. You don't know me. (laughs) You don't know who I know. You don't know what my life is like. Yeah. And there was, um, there was definitely, you know, people that came in with the wrong idea. Like the, you're dressed like you're looking for something. Mm -hmm. And, You know, we had to teach them very quickly that, one, you look, you don't touch. And, two, this doesn't mean I want shit, you know. My outfit does not mean I like you. In fact, my outfit says I might hurt you if you think I like you too much. (laughs) I kind of like that. Like,
0: just...
1: Well, I I was pretty ruthless, too. I was lucky I got away with it. But, I mean, I would try and do things like if someone... You know, like I remember, I was coming down the stairs once, and a guy like slid his hand up my thigh. So I grabbed his hand and I put my cigarette out in his eye. Oh wow! And, yeah, and then you know I walked very quickly away and went and told my bouncer, and and it was easy to find him because he's a person doubled over holding his eye. But. Right. <laughs>
0: Stands so, out the crowd. You no, know,
1: I did things like that, and I mean, like, that's another thing. You're not allowed to just hit people anymore. Yeah. yeah. You would okay. get, like, countersued. You know? <laughs> that was one of those things where it's like, you know, hey, you get a little too handsy, a little get, you know, then expect a slap.
0: Mm-hmm. So do you feel like the industry is changing for the better, or do you feel like it's it's kind of dying off?
1: I see it dying off more than anything. I I see it becoming a little bit more private in the way Mm. of at least mainstream. You know, it's something that people feel comfortable doing in the bedrooms. I, I hope that people are becoming more comfortable talking to their partners because that was another thing for me that I was very lucky to have was that men and women both felt extremely comfortable telling me their deepest, darkest, like, fantasies that they were so ashamed of telling anyone because they thought that there was nothing they could say to shock me. And that was true. But what was also true was that uh, the majority of the time, the t- like, I was like, let me guess. you like butt stuff or chicks with dicks? You know, like. Is that your search, you know, engine kind of thing? And they're like, oh, "How'd you know?" I'm like, "Cause you're all the same." Because <laughs> you're all the same. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, men tend to like butt stuff on them. You know, mm-hmm. they like girl oh, butt stuff. They like butt stuff to themselves. You know, they they like butt stuff. It's not an unusual thing. There's something exotic and unusual and kind of you know interesting with the whole. You know, drag queen, you know, but with the things that I have as well, it's a dick and tits. That's awesome, you know. Yeah. And another thing, it was like, I can't believe I've never said it to anyone. It's, yeah, okay. Yeah, okay. <laughs> <laughs> number one or number two? <laughs> right. Every once in a while, they're like, no, it's number three. I want to be peed on. I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs>
0: oh, it's one of those ones.
1: Okay, cool. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, but well, I, we... I think it's becoming a lot harder to shock people. I think, like, yeah. I think people are becoming more confident with, you know, the things that turn them on because they can find other people that like the same things. You, you can type into a search engine on any porn site, basically, like what you want to see, and there's porn already made there's for people it. People
0: doing that, yeah. So yeah. do you think that internet porn has kind of had uh, an impact on? On the industry and how oh, absolutely.
1: it's shaped. Oh, for sure, definitely has. Um, Do
0: you feel like and, it's even you know, it more some popular? Some the porn
1: still worries me. It, it still really does. You know, it's there's some really, you know, there's some great ones where it's like it's really empowering and no, they really like it and it's you know all consensual and stuff. But then there's still the whole other side of it that still exists. That's always about porn, mm-hmm. which is it blows your body out exhausting, you know, you don't last very long. It's not always that great. it, it there's it can be very scary. You know, in one minute it feels good. The next minute you're like, shit, I'm really not high enough for this. Yeah. You know?
0: Yeah. Well we have to start wrapping up now. We are we are nearing the end of our our time. But um is there anything else that you want to like tell our
1: listeners before you before we go? Um I would say don't be afraid to talk to your partner about what you are interested in. There's a very small, small chance that you, they would be surprised. Yeah. And and even smaller chance that they would be turned off. Men are much more freaky than they let their women think.
0: And I like so that. are women. <laughs> Yeah, I think that that open and honest communication is so essential to any to any relationship, but especially to a relationship that's as intimate as a sexual relationship. Yeah,
1: absolutely. And the other part of it, you're worth something. You're always worth something. So don't give it away for free.
0: Yes, I love that. Like, I was just like inspired right now. That was (laughs) awesome. You're right. We are worth it. Worth something. Damn straight. Well, thank you so much for being on the show today. I really appreciate you coming, like you taking the time to to talk and to tell me about the inner workings of of professional dominatrixism. Denominate? I don't know. Any any questions? Any time, let me know. Awesome. Well, thank you. That's it for today's episode. Thanks again to Ms. Priya for spending some quality time with us. Thank you to KRFC for having us on the KRFC podcasting network. Thanks to Ryan Pruitt for our theme song. And thank you for listening to the show. See you all next time. And as always, proper communication and consent, folks.